0: the aftermath of a global pandemic what's ahead for network operators welcome to the fast mode podcast i'm tara neil and in this episode we'll be talking to nokia we have with us jim gillette senior director product marketing at nokia so hi jim hi tara So Jim, we wanted to discuss about how the telecom industry has changed in the last eight months with the onset of the pandemic and the lockdowns and movement restrictions that followed. So today we have a couple of questions that I am sure we ask ourselves often. Will the world ever be the same again? Or in the context of the telecommunications industry, has the value proposition of operators, fixed mobile cable or even satellite changed from mere providers of bandwidth and connectivity to now being the essential bridge between people, people and food supply, people and the workplace, and people and the government. So our question is, how has the pandemic or COVID-19 changed the role of operators?
1: Well, when I think about the pandemic and what we've all experienced this, uh, this year, working through the issues and and adapting to this sort of new normal. I I mean, I think the first thing that uh, we've become aware of as consumers is just how essential the network is uh, to uh, keeping us going and maintaining our digital lifestyles. Whether we're working from home, uh, such as I'm doing right now, or uh, online schooling, online exercise classes, uh, or just generally keeping in touch with friends and family, the network has become an essential part of our lives. In fact, I'd say we already probably knew it was essential, especially when it didn't work. Uh, but by and large, uh, you know, it's it stood up quite well. And I, I dare say that, you know, we now think the network is imperative to, to our daily lives. Uh, the other aspect, I guess, would be the visibility and profile of the network operators, the, the, the men and women who build and operate these networks and have kept society going 24 uh, seven. I, I think I think the profile of the service provider is, as sort of a partner uh, for society and, and someone who provides critical infrastructure uh, that is allowing us to maintain uh, lifestyles and adapt to this new normal, I, I think is, is an absolutely key uh, observation uh, and, and their role can't be diminished or understated in and how they have kept society going.
0: Yes, Jim, Uh, connectivity has enabled so many economic verticals which would have otherwise come to a complete halt to keep moving. And what you said about people behind these networks who have built and maintained it for it to be operating as it is, uh, that is is something that I think the whole industry uh, can be really proud of. So, um, a lot of us uh, do wonder, you know, as nations shut down and as people turn to data networks to ensure that they are still connected to their necessities, uh, which in today's world extends all the way from um, watching Netflix to ordering bread. Okay, with, with this surge in usage across all their networks. How do operators continue managing their networks including physical maintenance right from from the excess and all the way to the core Um, because we have this pandemic fear looming around us and and there are many movement restrictions, lockdowns uh, especially, that make it difficult for routine operations uh, to continue as usual.
1: Well, one of the challenges of managing networks during the pandemic is, of course, uh, you know, it, it throws another hurdle, another obstacle in the path of what is already generally a fairly complex task: managing a very complex system. Um, it's it's important that you know for our customers, they've they've designed quality networks from from the start. and By that I mean, their networks have predictable performance for any mix of traffic type or loading, and and equally, are are robust and secure to to mitigate any failures and or malicious attacks. So, so the operations of the network can be trusted to to operate continuously. Uh, now that said, um, the you know that the network still underwent some significant traffic uh, increases, uh, basically a year's worth of traffic uh, growth in in a space of a couple of weeks, uh, and yet they stood up quite well. Now, now part of that is. The networks are designed for uh, prime time uh, traffic loading, namely, uh, you know, Sunday night. Well, most most evenings, but in particular, Sunday night around nine o'clock is is when the bulk of traffic uh, peaks are hit when people are streaming high quality four K TV into their homes, and and traffic definitely increased at those peak times, and and certainly ate up any of the spare capacity that that it put in the network, uh, you know, for for anticipating a year's worth of growth, which which I said happened in a couple of weeks. Now, during the daytime with people working from home, uh, the, you know, the, the daytime loading on networks is significantly lower than the prime time. And, and that's really why all the additional video traffic from schooling, as well as the uh, bi-directional video conferencing from people working from home and, and, and using Zoom exercise classes and so forth, the, yes, that drove traffic levels up, but but certainly not to the same peaks as the residential uh, peak demand of, of the Sunday night uh, streaming video traffic levels were.
0: So, so that surge in traffic, uh, d- did it entail a lot more maintenance work across the network, a, a lot more traffic management configurations? How did operators deal with that, especially during lockdowns?
1: When, when countries go into lockdowns and, and the networks that keep us going become so essential and imperative, Keeping us all going, or well, the networks themselves go into lockdown, uh, meaning you know they're they're not available to be upgraded or or adjusted or adapted. They 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 freeze the configuration because that is what drives the uh, the stability that we all needed to get us through. Now, obviously, that stability uh, was gobbled up in terms of any spare capacity. So planning immediately began and accelerated to figure out you know, what were the hot points, what were the key areas that needed to be refreshed so that when the lockdown windows lifted, uh, we could quickly get capacity into where it was needed and, and, and so forth. And, and a lot of this, uh, you know, I guess has, has accelerated the use of tools and automation uh, to, to better understand and more quickly find out where networks are at in terms of health and congestion. Uh, so that that these remedies can be implemented far faster and more automated to to reduce problems and, and minimize the amount of troubleshooting needed and I'd say one of the things that the pandemic has certainly done is accelerated uh, the ability to to do that and also you know with restrictions of on-site access by uh, by our crew as well as as our own uh, you know the operators uh, staff the, the the ability to do remote, Uh, updates and manage the configuration and troubleshooting and insertion of the kit into live networks is now being done almost exclusively remotely uh, using video conferencing, uh, much as, uh, as, as people who are working from home are doing as well.
0: Interesting, interesting. I I think yes, most of the maintenance work, except that which requires physical presence, can actually be done the same way everyone else is uh, doing it today, uh, using remote access, um, things like online conferencing, cloud collaboration, and and so forth, um, where it is possible, of course, to do so. Okay, so uh, moving on to the last question uh, for the session. Operators are seeing uh, a diverse range of traffic on their networks from bandwidth-hungry applications such as video streaming to low-latency applications and then to high-priority traffic um, and and to encrypted traffic and and so forth. Managing all this traffic goes beyond increasing the capacity of existing pipes to implementing various network policies and and functions and enhancements so that SLAs and service quality requirements are met. So beyond replenishing network capacity, what are the other network requirements um, coming from operators? Um, in their bid to continue delivering um, all these services.
1: Well, I think the big story here would be uh, the demand for network automation as operators seek to get more agility and flexibility into their networks so they can be in turn more responsive to change. And, and the background to this is simply that you know networks interconnect things, uh, interconnect endpoints, whether that's humans, machines, cloud resources and, and, and you know in and sensors and, and so forth.
0: Um,
1: and and, in, and if that's your job, you know, if the network's job is to interconnect things, then then obviously we need to understand how those things we interconnect are evolving. And they're evolving quickly, both expanding in type, but also evolving in their uh, application and migration toward cloud architectures, which, which ultimately leads to a set of endpoints that is becoming wider and more diverse and, and also more dynamic in, in what its uh, needs are in terms of network services. So the network automation uh, that's being sought is simply to accommodate a far more dynamic environment where things no longer are uh, you know, set up and, and connectivity is established you know, uh, for months on end, years on end, that, that the applications people use no longer are housed and, uh, you know, on physical hardware and fixed locations and run in perpetuity in a, in a particular data center. Now with cloud architectures, uh, you know, applications can move around, they can spin up, they can spin out and so forth. And as a result, you're, you're looking at a network that can uh, dynamically match, if you will, the speed and agility of the cloud to make sure that as the endpoints and the applications move and spin up, that the network can follow them and provide the connectivity just as quickly. Uh, so you know, obviously, when, when applications move into the cloud and, and need to be uh, connected to branch offices or, or home uh, workers, uh, there, there's obviously some mechanisms that need to take place. The other thing is with 5G, uh, we're moving to a mobile environment that's fundamentally based on cloud architectures and, and supports things like network slicing, where, where end-to-end resources can be partitioned and allocated to a particular service or a particular uh, customer. Uh, and all of this entails interconnecting network functions that, again, were previously uh, all on, on one physical Entity and now are disaggregated and distributed across the network, including all the way out to edge clouds. And I guess the other aspect would be, you know, the love of content and video continues. And so the need for a dynamic edge gateway where, where you can move its physical location to and fro to ensure that content insertion or video insertion and so forth occurs at the, at the most appropriate point both for quality experience, but also for cost, is, is maintained. So network automation you know, began well before the pandemic. The pandemic, uh, like many things, has simply accelerated uh, society's shift to more digitalization, and uh, network automation does same for the networks that, uh, that we build with our customers.
0: Yes, yes Jim. So so we see uh, what was essentially a natural evolution towards more agile and responsive networks built around the rise of cloud and SaaS and emerging 5G use cases now accelerated many steps ahead due to the pandemic. Well, that that and the fact that networks are now uh, an essential utility as well as a major production input for almost all economic sectors. So um, great, great speaking to you Jim and, and thank you for joining us. Joining uh, the Fast Mode Podcasts.
1: You are welcome. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in.
0: For more information, visit Nokia at Nokia.com, Stroke Networks, Stroke Networks, keep us going, and the Fast Mode at www.thefastmode.com. Bye. We'll meet you again in our next podcast session.